What does Joe want? Right. What does Joe need? Where's Joe coming from? What's his experience? You gotta tell the story. And if the story, if I don't sh cry when I'm writing it, if I don't laugh when I'm writing it, uh, if I'm not moved as it's on, going on the page and as I read back what I've written, then the reader won't be moved. And the, if the reader isn't moved, they won't care and they won't learn and they won't retain. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, Dan Moyle. Welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I'm your host, Dan Moyle, and I'm so excited to have you here today because this is part two of the season finale of Business Storytellers. I am excited to bring the next portion of the Go-Giver Partnership, John David Mann. He is a master storyteller. He has a new book that just came out as you're listening to this. So we'll talk about that real quick. Remember to go to the storytellersnetwork.com for past episodes, like the one from Bob that I just mentioned. Uh, also for other resources and just to contact me, read a little bit about what's going on with the Storytellers Network. Sign up for the email. I'd love to have you a part of that world as well, uh, which is kind of funny that I, I say that because you'll hear in the, later in the interview the email list is where it's at. So if you're a storyteller, cultivate and build your email list. John references that in the conversation. So I want to get to the interview. John David Mann has written, uh, gosh, 30 books. He's been a co-writer with some amazing folks that have terrific ideas. He brings parables to life. He wrote, if, if you're watching it on YouTube, he's the co-author of The Go-Giver with Bob Berg. Um, I just showed it to the camera. So if you're listening, go to YouTube and check that out. Uh, so he's the co-author of that and that entire series. He just released a book with David Bach called The Latte Factor. Uh, and David has written several books as well. So John gets to work with these folks. And it's, it's an incredible experience. I, I hope you get a lot out of it. I had a wonderful time talking with John. So uh, I'm going to get to John David Mann's stories right now. So let's, uh, let's get to his stories. Well, John, thank you for taking time to talk to the Storytellers Network listeners. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So, John, uh, you are often called, or maybe I'm not sure about often, but you are called a master storyteller. How, how long have you been a storyteller? Has that always been in your blood? That's a great question. I suppose it has been. I've only been writing books for a little over 10 years, to be honest. I started uh, 12 years ago. I published my first book. Um, it's not entirely true. I sort of ghostwritten some, a few books for people before that, but um, it hasn't been that long. Fairly late in my life, I started this actual, this current career that I'm in. Before that, I spent well over a decade, maybe two, editing other people's stuff. And okay. that, I think, is, is a fantastic training platform, by the way, for writers, editing yeah. other people's stuff. <laughs> uh, making other people's stuff better. You have less emotional attachment to it. It's not yours. There you go. Uh, before that, and actually... Early in my life, I started out as a classical musician, a, a concert cellist and composer. And uh, I, I do think that my, my years as a composer really do inform the writing process for me. Uh, there's a lot about that sort of the musical structural nature of composition that, that, that bleeds into writing. Uh, 
and I was probably telling tall tales when I was, when I was little. So there you go. <laughs> Weren't we all? It's interesting, John, because that's the second time I've heard someone reference their mu- musical training, maybe the third time in actual storytelling and writing. So it's very yeah. fascinating. I love that. Yeah. Um, so now you mentioned ghostwriting. Is that, I mean, and editing, obviously. So you can, I mean, gosh, your storytelling professionally goes back quite a ways. Is, is ghostwriting something that storytellers can do to kind of start and make, make ends meet maybe? Is that kind of a... Thing? Oh, yeah. I think, there's, I think there's, a, there's a, you know, there is a huge and will always be a huge demand for uh, writers who can take, basically take somebody else's story and tell it shape mm-hmm. it, craft it, you know, put it into words. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether you call that ghostwriting or co-authoring, you know, there's different levels of that for me. I've written some books where I, m- my name does not appear. I mean, I really, it is, it's true ghost in the sense that I'm invisible. Mm-hmm. Not too many, you know, mostly uh, I've written books where it's somebody else's story, like a memoir or somebody else's message in a nonfiction book um, that I've, put into words for them and I get listed as a co-author and in some wonderful cases for me, wonderful. They're like Bob Berg, Bob Berg and I are a true partnership. It's yeah. not, you know, Bob's idea and John's ghosting or John's it's like 50, 50, put us two, put the two of us in a barrel, shake it up. And it's, it's a mix of both of us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I, I do think that editing other people's writing, editing other people's stuff, shaping other people's stuff into an article, into a blog post, maybe into a book, into a story, um, all the way to memoir writing, telling somebody else's life story, I think is fantastic training for a writer. And, you know, if, if it's your entire lifelong career, it's a great career. I, it's a lot like being a movie actor. Like I just watched, um, it'll still be in people's minds even when this comes out, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, yeah. uh, Rami Malek doing a stunning job of becoming Freddie Mercury. But every year there are dozens of fantastic biopics that come out where some actor or actress has, has inhabited another person's life and brought it to screen. Writing someone's memoir is a little bit like that uh, because you have to, to some extent, inhabit the person and also make it yourself. I mean, if you yeah. talk to any great actor, they're going to say that they have to become, they have to find something in their own life that, that relates to that story. They have to kind of merge with the story in a very real way in order to portray it on screen. They can't just pretend to be that person. You yeah. have to relate to that person and relate their experience to your experience. And you've got to do that as a writer. Same thing. That's a fascinating way to look at it. I hadn't, I'd never heard it spoken that way or, or thought of it that way. What a, what a challenge to be able to take someone's story and become them and right alongside them. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's a blast. I mean, and I have, I'll say I've, this is beyond superficial differences. I have written memoirs for women, for men, for conservatives, for liberals, for the young, for the old. My first was a 19 year old kid. I've also written for a guy in his seventies. I mean, mm-hmm. superficial differences, but there's something in their, in, in their values, in their experience, in their mission in life, in their personality that you can click with and go, yeah, I'm, I'm that person. Yeah. I, I feel that way. So it sounds like you have a natural curiosity. Is that kind of where it starts for you? You love to, to dive in with somebody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And it's, and, it, and it's a curiosity, not so much for details as much for essence. Okay. Although you got to have details too. That's part of it. <laughs> sure, yeah, of course, of course. And, and how do you start that process? Do you, or how do you go through that process? Do you, do you have to be in the same room with them? Do you start no. through communications, do you video chats? How, do, how does that work? So every book 
it's sort of the same three-part template and it varies how that applies depending on the, on the book project and the three-part template. And I say this because um, I, I just wrote my 30th book and with the exception of one, all those books have been partnerships with another, with another co-author. Um, so, you know, it, it's always in the context that I'm speaking. It's in the context of partnering with somebody else. So the three, the three part template is part a is absorbing the other person. However much of that person I need to absorb it. If it's their life, it's their life story. If it's a memoir or the principles that they want to get across, if it's a nonfiction book or kind of the essence of the ideas they want to get across, if it's a parable absorbing th that person's stuff. Uh, and that if it's a memoir, I'll spend, I, I, it's better for me on the phone, not in person. Um, I'll talk, I'll have usually one hour conversations or less. I don't, I rarely go longer than an hour, half an hour, 45 minutes, 50 minutes tops. Usually I'll do anywhere from, you know, eight, 10, 12 to 20 phone calls, however many it takes mm -hmm. to get the whole story and follow up calls to get more details and to answer questions and clear up confusion. So I'll do a lot of investigation through phone calls. Um, I have a transcriber I've worked with for over 10 years and she transcribes every phone call. I do it myself sometimes. Usually I give them to her because it's a lot of typing. And then I work with those. In some cases, absorbing the other person might be reading their blog posts, reading articles they've written, uh, going to hear them give a lecture. Um, it might be, you know, reading a book they've written. But whatever the case, I go, like David Bach, The Latte Factor, this yeah. book's just just come out um david is a teacher of personal finance but he's also a teacher of he's also a life teacher he's a wonderful wonderful man uh, the more i work with him the more i came to appreciate the the profundity of his his message and his mission well i went and hung out with david for a day in new york city where he lives mm -hmm. um i read a, a bunch of his books i highlighted them i hung out with him for one day one day and uh, we had a number of phone calls and boom, I was off. So it, it varies depending on the project, how much time I need, how much little, how little time. Yeah. That's part A, absorbing the person. Part B is writing the draft. And that's just me in my, in my little room with the door closed. I don't tend to do that in partnership. I tend to do that by myself. Mm -hmm. I get a draft of the whole book. And then the third phase is taking it from there is, you know, showing it to them, going back and forth, adapting, changing, you know, reshaping, uh, uh, you know, all the way from working with my co-author to working with proofreaders and early readers and so forth. Yeah. Fascinating. I, I love that idea. Absorb, write, finish. Yeah. And, and I mean, gosh, much like being a podcast host, one of the things that I love about it is being able to talk to folks, learn, uh, it, just have a conversation, deep conversation. So you get to do that for eight, 10, 12, 20 hours, and just hang out with somebody and get to know them. And what an incredible array around you of people that has to be an incredibly invigorating, I guess. I, I'm right now three quarters of the way through a novel, which is my first time ever. Mm. Um, and it, this is, you know, I feel like I have, for 10 years, I've been taking walks in the neighborhood and now I'm walking the Pacific tr Crest Trail, you know, <laughs> or, or the Rockies. It's yeah. monumental. But I'm doing it all with my friend Brandon Webb, the, the, my former Navy SEAL, okay. with whom I've written five I think nonfiction books, his memoir, a few other memoirs of, of seals he's known. And then some, some principal books, mastering fear and total focus. And this is our first fiction together. I'm doing all the writing, but 
I, I, it takes place in, a, in an aircraft carrier and the hero is a, is a psychologically damaged Navy SEAL and I've never been either one. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. A, se- a SEAL or an <laughs> aircraft carrier. Yeah. Um, actually spent a day on an aircraft carrier but, uh, to do it. But, you know, so I have to just absorb as much from him as I possibly can to be able to just, you know, chunk in the brain and then write from there. Yeah. What a, what a cool way to be a storyteller. I, I am excited. I'm learning something new right now. I love that. It's now you, you referenced Bob. And so the, the book that started all this for me was The Go-Giver, uh, which I, I mean, I tell you, I love it. That's awesome. Uh, so for those listening, if you go to the YouTube, you can see uh, David and I both have a copy of it and we're showing it off. Um, I love it. And, and I, and I had heard about it, but then somebody that I know through social media said, you should talk to Bob Berg. And I reached out to Bob and he's like, yes. And by the way, you should talk to John. And so this, <laughs> that's how this all came together. But I typically read, read right now, uh, two to four books a month. So yeah. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about that. This I read, I couldn't put it down. I read it in a couple hours cause I just couldn't stop. It's so good. And I, and I, and I know like the latte factor is one of those two that you can kind of read in an hour, but it lasts a lifetime kind of a thing, yeah. man, that what an incredible skill. How, how, do you as a storyteller hone that skill of just keeping people enthralled? Is it just a matter of keeping it short or what do you do? You know, one thing I'll say about the go-giver that's been incredibly gratifying for it's it's been over 10 years now. It came out. Can you believe it? It came out 11 years ago. So um, over the years, one thing Bob and I have both heard over and over is people who say things like, I don't really read books. You know, not like what you just said, but rather I don't read books or I haven't read a book since college <laughs> or, you know, I might read a book a year, but your book, I read it in a weekend or I read it in a night or in an afternoon or whatever. And, uh, and I love that. I love that. Cause I love the idea of reaching people who don't read books. Mm-hmm. That, that's why, by the way, David and I did Latte Factory. David had all these best selling books sold millions of copies, but he said, but there's like tens of millions of people who are never going to even pick up the automatic millionaire or smart women, finished rich, his other books, mm-hmm. because it's like, it's a book like this and it's intimidating. People don't read those books. I know a ton of people who think that seven habits of highly effective people was, was one of the most influential books in their lives. When I asked them, did you read the whole book? <laughs> I think Bob Berg is the only person who ever answered yes. <laughs> it's too big, man. Yeah. Anyway, um, so you asked, how, how, do you, how does that work? It is to an extent keeping it simple, but it's really, it's two things. It's three things. Keeping it simple, keeping it real. And, and, and by real, I mean, you know, parables are really easy to do poorly. Um, how that works is you have an idea you want to get across. You have like three principles or four principles or five principles or two principles, whatever. You have some concepts, structure of concepts you want to get across. And so you have to work that all out. And then you come up with a character. We'll call him dude. And then you have another character. We'll call her Sally and say, how do they, that's maybe dude and Sally. Maybe they're married. Well, maybe they're, I don't, you, you make up a story and then you, you get dude to say those principles and you get Sally to say those principles and all it is, is this two-dimensional thing of thinly veiled characters that are just kind of there to say what you wanted to say in the first place. And it feels like a lecture, like a disguised lecture. And it's boring and nobody cares. Yeah. And that's why so many people think that parables are dumb. Not because they're dumb. Because they're not, uh, because, they, they, because of what I just said. They've, they've been approached that way or something like that. The way 
the great parables, and there's so many of them, the way the great parables are approached is, yes, there's this, this idea, but the author sat down with a character who was real. Mm-hmm. And what is that like in the Go-Giver? It's Joe. What does Joe want? Right. What does Joe need? Where is Joe coming from? What's his experience? you got to tell the story. And if the story, if I don't sh- cry when I'm writing it, if I don't laugh when I'm writing it, uh, if I'm not moved as it's on, going on the page and as I read back what I've written, then the reader won't be moved. And the, if the reader isn't moved, they won't care and they won't learn and they won't retain. Is that why stories are so powerful? I mean, you say parables, but stories themselves, because they move us? Yes. The stories move us because they are are like us. They are like we get, it's like we get to experience our life or some aspect of our life or our life as I'd like, as we'd like it to be, or our life as we we hope it won't be. We get get to experience our life in some way through that story and and grow through that story it's real when people see a, a, a you know a great biopic like again bohemian rhapsody or they read a story like the alchemist paulo coelho or they read a story like you know even the three minute manager which is a very simple parable and it doesn't have a lot of character development or like that but you experience something through that story that you grow with that you change with it's real yeah. So let's talk about the latte factor. Uh, first of all, it's kind of funny because the, the main character is Zoe Daniels. So my yes. name is Daniel, obviously. My youngest daughter is Zoe. So I'm like, yeah, this oh, is awesome. <laughs> all right. We nailed but anyway, it. <laughs> anyway. But yeah, let's, let's talk about the latte factor, though. I, I love the idea of, again, having a character that I can relate to. This yeah. person who is, is this really all that I'm living for? And she's struggling. So, so I'm, I'm going to let you talk about your and, and David's uh, story. Tell me a little bit about the latte factor and how that plays out. So um, this is a principle that David was fam- became famous for nearly 20 years ago. I think it's 20 years ago or so. so um, but, but he had always wanted to put it into a story. And he approached me over a decade ago when The Go-Giver came out and talked about the idea of doing this. And it took us until now to do it, but here it is. And so the story is, is, is this, that there's the person at the core of the story is Zoe. Zoe Daniels, uh-huh. named, named after you and your daughter. That's right. <laughs> and Zoe's life is not... Uh, a wreck. It's not miserable, but it's, but, but there's a disquiet. The story opens with her being something just doesn't feel right. And what it is is she has this job. It isn't awful, but she's kind of chasing her bills every month. She's working, taking work home every weekend. Um, she's entertaining the idea of this other job that her, her friend is holding out for her, which would pay more, but she's don't think she's going to like it very much but it would pay more. <laughs> and she's under this crushing student loan debt. And her only examples, it's kind of her models for living are her friend who has this higher paying fast paced job that she's not sure about. And her parents who have, let's face it, kind of struggled their whole lives and are still struggling. Hmm. Um, and, and so it's this feeling of where am I going with my life? And, and isn't, isn't there more to this? And is it going to be a struggle to keep my bills paid until you know, the day I die. And that's kind of the journey that she sets out on. She's walking through the Oculus, which is this incredible building in New York City, which is just a block from where David Bach lives. You can see it out his window. And the Oculus is a building that was built in the, in the ashes of 9-11. Mm. And it's this huge uh, walkway where all the subways and trains and path trains and so forth in New York City all meet. And it looks like a huge set of uh, spread of marble wings. It's an amazing building. Um, uh, and, and as she's walking through, she walks down this long corridor and sees a gigantic uh, uh, on a video screen that's really there. 
that scrolls messages all day long. She sees this big message and it's a picture of a desert. And on the desert, there's this beached ship, shipwrecked ship sitting in the desert. And the, and the sign says, if you don't know where you're going, you might not like where you end up. And the image just nags at her. It gnaws at her. It's like, how did this ship get into a desert, first of all? It's like the beginning of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. <laughs> right. And the, the, the phrase, if you don't know where you're going, you might not like where you end up. It just gnaws at her because she doesn't really know where she's going to end up with the life that she's living. So it's not just about finance. It's kind of like, what, what, what's, whose life is she living and where is she going and what's the plan here? Mm-hmm. That's, uh, I'm intrigued. I, I love the story. Um, so, so you sat down with David and talked about his principles and everything. Do you, at that point, do you re- say to him, I have this idea that this might work or do you just take all that and go back and say, come back with a finished product, a, a draft and say, here's my idea. I'll answer that question. I'll first say, by the way, when I, inter- I interviewed David for a magazine article once before the Go-Giver came out and I'd always, I really liked the interview. His, he has very simple principles of saving and investing and how you manage your personal finances. It's, it's very, on the face of it, it's very black and white and mechanical, right? Yeah. Dollar, cents, money, spending, earning, saving, blah. But what he said on, in the interview, he said something that stuck with me. He said, I believe that, I can almost remember it word for word, and this is like 20 years later. I believe that each one of us was put here on this earth for some unique purpose that only we can fulfill and that most of us aren't doing it because we're spending our lives chasing our income because we're spending our, because we've uh, leased and loaned our lives rather than owning our lives. And my mission is to allow, is to help people own their lives so they can do what they were put here to do. Uh, man, this is not just a money guy. This is a life guy. I like this guy. Mm-hmm. So I'd always wanted to, 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 well, the idea of writing with him was, was very, very exciting answer your question. Um, David was more involved in the writing of this book than most of the co-authors I've ever worked with. Bob and I work very closely together. Bob Berg and I, we've done a lot of books together. Um, But David, I presented to him this idea I had for the first chapter. I sketched it out. I had an idea like 12 years ago. I sketched it out and I gave it to him and he said, ah, that's terrible. It doesn't work at all. (laughs) I was like, really? Didn't see that coming. <laughs> I didn't either. I didn't either. I thought it was a brilliant idea. I thought we were almost done. He was like, ah, that's terrible. Um, he's really funny, but he's so energetic and so active. He just like blurts it out and there it was. <laughs> idea of the scene was good and it's still there in the scene. It was a different name. It was a different setting. It was a painting, not a photograph. It was a, it was a art shop, not a coffee shop. It was in little town. It wasn't New York city. The whole, he kind of changed the whole thing a little bit, but it was the same idea. And, we, and it, the whole book went like that. I'd write a few chapters, I'd write some ideas, pop it off to him. He'd send it back and saying, this is great. This is terrible. This is great. This is terrible. And so we bounced back and forth like that. Um, mostly, I made this all up. But a, a bunch of the things in the story were me bouncing off real events in his life, real events in my life, um, my attempt to just manifest in a personality principles that he talked about. So it's, it, it goes back and forth like that. And, and how is that? So how do you deal with that? This is terrible. This is good. The back and forth. Do you just go into these relationships knowing that you're going to get feedback or do you have to just develop thick skin? Cause it kind of gives me a little bit of anxiety going, I don't want somebody to tell me my writing's terrible. So how do you do that as a storyteller? 
I may have been exaggerating slightly. <laughs> it, it is. It is not. Uh, it was not frequent that he would say, "This is terrible." Sure, um, sure. But you know, I get notes back in all capital letters, exclamation points, and what's happening here? I don't understand this. Um, yeah, there is. To me, there are two. I learned two principles from my writing teacher, um, my my first writing teacher, who's still a mentor of mine. You know, one of them is uh, you have to absolutely trust yourself. Uh, don't listen to what anybody says. Just trust yourself and write what you know. And the second principle is do not trust yourself. Have to listen to other people. Uh, now, you have to make a decision about who you're going to listen to. Sure. But you have to – the first thing is, and probably everyone's heard this, but it's really, really true. Whether you're going to write books and be a professional writer or you're just writing emails or you're writing blog posts or you're writing newsletters in the course of your other business, whatever the context, if you're writing anything, you are going to write garbage. I know it because – Everybody writes garbage, and you have one of the, one of the, possibly the, the the biggest secret to becoming a good writer is to be willing to write garbage, willing to put stuff down that just makes you cringe. If you read it, don't read it; just write it, just put it down. So there's you have to have this kind of almost arrogant, a teenager like, complete and utter faith in yourself, based on nothing. <laughs> but you still have it just the conviction that you're right that this is the best idea that's ever been put into into human language ever and you write it down and you know this is better than brilliant this is better than Faulkner this is better than James this is better than anybody and then you go back the next day you say oh my god what drivel <laughs> then you have to be willing to show it to people and, and take the feedback and be able to listen and hear the feedback. And Neil Gaiman said something that I love about writing, about getting feedback, which is that when a reader tells you this, this section doesn't work, they're almost always right. When a reader tells you how to fix it, they're almost always wrong. Interesting. And I, I, you know, I find this to be mostly true. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it isn't thick skin as much as knowing that what you're hearing is just feedback from the universe. It's the whistle of the wind is telling yeah. you you're cold, put on a jacket and change these words. I love that. That's good. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, I like it. It's interesting that if, if they give you specifics on how to fix it, they don't necessarily know what they're talking about, but if they just feel it, that's okay. So go with the feeling. And, and at the end of the day, the, the readers got the readers have the power in a way. So, and obviously yeah. it's working for you, John. So. <laughs> and, and I do want, I do want to append that by saying that in terms, I am, I am really careful who I get feedback from. Sure. Um, you re, and I think that's, that's, you'd be really, really choosy about who you show your writing mm -hmm. for feedback. And then you can't be really, really choosy about the feedback. I mean, you, you are, you don't accept everything, yeah. but you know, the, the, the key, judgment is to is to choose your reader as well and do you try to balance out kind of when you're finding who to who to read it those first times people that you know will give you completely honest feedback and people who might just say keep it up you're doing great i mean do you look for those yes men or is it just people who will give you honest feedback uh i'm certainly not going to lie about this i love it when people say wow this is great oh my god i love this and i i do really really love that i give i give thing to my wife she's always my first reader and by the way first draft goes to nobody the first draft, you know, Stephen King said, write your first draft with the door closed and the second draft with your door open. Mm. Um, the first draft you don't show to a soul because it's too tender. It's too fragile. Um, but once you're, once you're done and you're ready to start to show, I'll show my wife and she will go through and she'll mark up things that she loves. And yes, I admit it. I love that. 
but mostly that's not what I'm looking for. Um, mostly, uh, I already kind of know when I think stuff is good because I, if I didn't love it, I wouldn't have left it on the page. Mm -hmm. I'm mostly looking for people to say, well, something didn't ring right there and or there or there. And again, they're not always right, but, but often yeah. there's something to look at. So John, let's get back to business storytelling. So we're, we're yeah. ending my season right now with business storytellers. And, yeah. and when I, when I interviewed Bob and I was getting ready to interview you, I thought, man, what a great set of books the go-giver series is to help us. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily to win in business, but it isn't in part. I mean, I, I walked away thinking I want to yeah. be a connector. Yeah. Like I want to connect people. And so, yeah. I mean, being a business storyteller, have you thought of yourself in that way or are you thinking more of, you just help others tell their story and some, sometimes it happens to be business. So I, before I was involved in writing, really, I was in business. Okay. Um, I mean, I started out as a musician, classical musician, cellist, composer, but then I, I, I morphed into uh, nutrition and, and health, holistic health, and then from there I went into business. And I spent uh, maybe two decades, a while, as an entrepreneur, and I was in sales, I was in direct sales, and I, and I, and I was in writing and sales journalism. So. A lot of my early writing skills development was in the context of leadership and sales and business and business success and succeeding in business in a way that had integrity and that was con consistent with one's values and so forth. So yeah, I mean, I've always sort of come from, curiously enough, that sort of business storytelling context and you know, I've gradually moved into other stuff that I do. But yeah, that's where it started out for me. Yeah. I've always believed that a principle that works in business works in life and a principle that works in life works in business. It's just, it's a different context, but it's the same humanity. Sure. Yeah. I mean, p people are the ones that are doing business. So that yep. should make sense, right? Yep. yep. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, that's awesome, man. Uh, gosh, there's so much to just kind of sit here and talk about. Uh, what do you, what do you find is one of your biggest challenges as, as that storyteller when, when you're working, what's one of the biggest challenges that you face that you've been able to overcome? Hopefully. Uh, probably the number one challenge is the voice in my head that says, uh, that tells me negative things that says, I don't know what I'm doing. They said, this is not working. It said, this is hopeless. And you know, I've, I've been doing this for over 12 years. I've, I've just written my 30th book. I've had a handful of New York times bestsellers, a bigger handful of national bestsellers. And you know what? I sit down to start writing something. And within the first half hour, most of what's going on in my head is, Oh God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. This is like, this is not working. This is no good. And I have to take myself by the hand and say, Johnny, that's just a voice in your head. <laughs> um, and I have to, it's what I said earlier. I have to allow myself to go, you know what? Okay. I don't really know how this works, but that's okay. I'll find my way. Mm -hmm. Here, a belief that I have, it's kind of, it, it sounds metaphysical. I don't really necessarily mean it that way, but is that whether it's a blog post or an email or a book, that there's the stories that there is a story that wants to get told and it's not me. It's the story that wants to get told, whatever the source of that is. And my job is to hear it and not get in the way. Um, and so it's kind of like that is getting myself out of the way, mostly my doubts, self criticisms, self castigations, mostly is getting that out of the way and letting it go. That after that, the rest is all technical and being open to critique and, and being willing to rewrite. I am very, very willing to rewrite. I will rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite like a maniac forever because I enjoy it. It's like, sand, it's like a craftsman sandpapering the edge of the cabinet until it's just you know, like 
like glass. Yeah. You like doing that. So you have to be willing to rewrite. But it's that the initial impulse of getting the voices out of the way and letting yourself just go with it. That's the hardest, hardest challenge. All right. It's, it's kind of bittersweet to hear that because on one hand, I'm thinking, okay, it's not just me. <laughs> right. On the other hand, I'm thinking 30 books, all these bestsellers, and you still battle it? Man, I got a long way to go. <laughs> I do, but as this voice is going, there's also a part of me that says, okay, you know what? You know you've done this before. Yeah. This will work. You know this is going to work. So there is, there is a level of faith that you have. even one, And that faith does not eliminate the negativity and the doubt. It just gives you a foundation to stand on while that swirls around your head. Mm -hmm. uh, something I heard you say in there too was uh, the way I've kind of thought about a story. And I think it comes from an early reference that you had as well, Stephen King. Uh, been a fan of his forever. I read mm -hmm. on writing back when I was in high school even. I thought, I want to be a writer someday. Wonderful book. An amazing book. I mean, seriously, storytellers, go check that book out. But I remember him saying in it, and I think in other interviews as well, is like the the story is in you. It has a life of its own. The characters are there. I'm just the vessel. Yeah. And so even in business writing, business storytelling kind of thing, like you still you still feel that way, huh? So that yes, yeah. yeah. Because in business storytelling, you're still. I mean, you may not be telling the story of a person's journey. You may be telling the story of an idea or a concept, or a practice, or a set of practices, but it's still a story. This King, by the way, has a lovely uh, image that I use a lot, which is, the, which is the story is like an archaeological artifact. It's there in the soil, and your job is to excavate it without wrecking it. So sometimes you have to use a pickaxe to start it, but then you really have to get the whisk broom out, and you have to get the, the air, air blower and stuff. Otherwise, these delicate little bones will snap. But to me, it's like that. Getting an idea out sitting in a chair with a blank pad of paper and getting a, a vague idea that you sort of grasp. It's almost like trying to remember a dream, getting an idea from the ether out onto the page without screwing it up. So that by the time you get it there, it's like lost its flavor. Hmm. To me, that is like, it's excruciatingly difficult. It's very, very, it's a hard thing to do. It's, so worth it. I've never given birth to a child, but I've been at the births of a few of my kids. And it's, I think it's all, probably a lot like giving birth. Yeah. The pain is not quite as physical, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, thanks. So, so I, I want to I get a technical question for you. Um, as yeah. someone who's been on the bestseller list multiple times, how do you think the landscape looks today in getting our stories out there? How are we supposed to get our voices heard as storytellers? I mean, the, 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 the issue of, of getting yourself heard, there's kind of two different issues. There's the issue of writing the thing. Then there's the issue of getting that heard. And I don't consider myself an expert in the second part at all. I mean, I wish I were more of an expert in that. I think it is, um, it is exceptionally difficult, but then again, it's always been exceptionally difficult. In some ways, hmm. it's harder today because the, the marketplace is more and more and more crowded. There are more and more voices. There's more and more books. Um, but in some ways, it's much easier because we have these platforms, um, self-publishing and self-promotion through the internet that's just, that's just are, that are so phenomenal. I think that, um, you know, there are the first principle is to write something that is of tremendous value and qual the quality really matters. You, you know, if you write a mediocre book, it kind of like, I mean, I know there is, there's, there's mediocre writing that's been on the bestseller list. And I know that's all these exceptions are there, but by and large, the, the first task is to write a, 
the finest quality you can possibly, possibly write. The second task, and maybe the second task comes first because it's in the concept, is what you write needs to have some kind of readily graspable uniqueness to it that makes people just hear it in a sentence and go, huh? Because um, I'll tell you, Dan, I've written some books that I thought were some of my best writing and they haven't sold much. And I've written books that I thought were not necessarily better writing than those, but have sold a ton more. And that had to do with how, uh, uh, how starkly interesting the core message was. I mean, the go-giver. Bob came up with the title and the idea, and then we took it from there. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm happy that people think the book was well-written and I enjoy the book, but it's also, it's, it's just, it's a killer concept. It's a great concept. So I, con uniqueness and, and hookability, catchability, stickiness of concept is enormous. I can't overemphasize it because if your concept isn't sticky, then nothing can overcome it. High quality product is, is paramount. And then there's the issue of getting, getting the voice heard. And of that, there's better teachers than me. <laughs> I get that. Uh, so it, it kind of reminds me of the idea that so I'm a, I love music. Uh, I don't yeah. play. I tried for, at one point, but I'm terrible. I can't sing either. But my favorite music is heavy rock and roll, heavy metal. Guns N' Roses is a tremendous band. And that very first album was magic. From there, it's all pretty good. But that first album was magic. So mm. finding, so I, I kind of feel like what I'm hearing you say is finding that, that magic alchemation yeah. Of, of the content and the voice and, and that it's graspable, that's where it's at. So it's really, it's hard work. In, in Hollywood, they had this thing they call high concept. And high concept basically means it's a movie that I can describe it in one sentence and you get it and you want to see it. Or, you know, unless you're totally don't like um, So, I mean, the most obvious example is, uh, you know, biopics, the story of Freddie Mercury. Well, that's a, you know, boom, got that. But high concept is a storyline that is has never been done before in quite that way and you get it almost instantly so that when you hear one sentence you can kind of picture the whole story in your head yeah. that's kind of what you want to look for in a book because if you get that um then you know american sniper you know books that just like the moment you get the subtitle you got the whole picture the movie snakes in a plane is the only movie i know whose initial pitch was the same as the, as the title of the movie. <laughs> yeah, right, right. The whole thing was sold. The whole idea for the movie was sold on the pitch, which was four words. Four words. Was the title of the movie. <laughs> That's funny. I'm not so, saying it's great. I'm not saying that's the greatest movie ever made. By uh, no, but it certainly got a lot of, got a lot, illust, a lot of play. Illustrating a point, yeah. So I, I read recently the idea that to get the word out and, and kind of thing is, and I want to I know your opinion on this, that it's not just a, it's not just about the writing, but it's about, selling it and they're called best sellers for a reason. So is there a, a part of you that has to be that salesperson for your own work? There is. Yeah, there really is. It, you know, one, I think one of the greatest misconceptions about writing among non-writers is the idea that your publisher is going to go sell your book. Uh -uh, publisher is not going to go sell your book. Publisher probably not even going to market your book. I mean, the publisher may do some marketing depending on who you are and what the book is, but by and large, you know, this may be somewhat different in the fiction world, and I don't have a lot of experience in the fiction world, by which I mean novels and mysteries and romances and all this. But I mean, in the nonfiction world, this is really true, which is that every successful book 
has had a successful salesperson, and that's probably probably been the author. I have an enormous privilege, which is that I, by and large, work in co co writerships, co in partnerships with a co author, where I do the writing and the co author does the marketing. So Bob Berg has been spreading the word of the Go Giver for ten years. You know, yeah. Brandon Webb, the Navy SEAL, goes and and goes on talk shows and goes on on TV and goes on the radio and goes talks about you know his experience as a as a Navy SEAL sniper. I write the book. He tells the story. Yeah. So yeah, but someone needs to go out there and you know, I, I'm with he with you right now doing this in part because I have this book. This book just came out, and that's what I'm doing. Uh, even though I'm not the guy that does the promotion. I, I go on podcasts and talk about it because you ultimately you, the author need to connect with your marketplace. Um, the, the most, and I will say in terms of marketing, the most, a lot of people say, and I believe them, the most significant and important piece of your whole marketing approach as an author is to cultivate your email list of your followers, your fans, your core readers, people who, when you just write an email saying, I've got a new book coming out, they're all going to go, Ooh, can't wait. And they'll read it, they'll buy it, they'll read it, and they'll tell their friends. It may only be 10 people, 50 people, 200 people, 80 people, whatever the number is, that's your core. And that I know, that you do need to, to develop. And then all of the rest is is gravy. Awesome. That's, that's great advice right there. And I, and I keep hearing that about marketing in general, whatever you're creating, whatever product you have, yeah. cultivate that email list and communicate with them regularly. Even, even in this social media world, as, as ancient as and obsolete and boring <laughs> as email sounds, at this point still in 2019, the email list is is the way that that is, is most commonly, most effectively utilized by successful authors. Uh-huh. Awesome, John. Man, I could talk to you all night. This has been incredible. You have so much information. You you embody the go-giver spirit. <laughs> so thank you for that. Well, thank um, you. What's So I, I'll get to my last question here in a minute. Okay. But I want to give you a chance. What's the best way for people to find you, to find the Latte Factor, and just to connect with you as a storyteller? Okay, easy. Latte Factor, first off, you can anywhere that they sell books, there'll be the Latte Factor. Um, but you can also find that book, links to buy that book, links to buy any of my books, read about books, download sample chapters, read excerpts, et cetera, et cetera. My blog and all that is in my website, um, which is my hub of everything I'm doing. And the website is just my name, John David Mann, M-A-N-N, johndavidmann.com. Perfect. And that's, that's where you find me. Awesome. I'll link to that in the show notes and the link to the, to the new book and everything. So... So, John, if somebody, you obviously have a huge passion for storytelling, and, and I don't think you're going away anytime soon, but if somebody said to you, John, you're done being a storyteller, you got to find something else to do, what would be your last story that you'd want to leave as your, as your last one? Um, my plan at this time is at some point, I don't know exactly when, it might be 10 years, eight years, at some point, uh, I'm going to go back to composing music. And what I want to do is to step from the page back into the orchestra pit, choir, what, choir loft, whatever the context might be, probably choir loft. Um, and I want to, you know, I, my wish is to, is to go off um, on a chorus that I wrote myself and, 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 and leave the world with some music that it, that it hasn't heard yet. Music can be a huge part of storytelling. I mm. mean, I, you know, I, 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 I want that to be one of my seasons is I, I think entertainment and talk to some composers and musicians yeah. because there's so much story in music that we don't oh. think about. Oh yeah. So. Yeah. Not only that, but it moves people so powerfully. 
I mean, whether you're talking about Guns N' Roses or, or Freddie Mercury or classical music, which is my background. My dad was a choral conductor. Um, when I do write, it'll probably be for chorus, for choir, setting of great text to, to great music. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever the context, uh, it, 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 stories told through music have been moving people since, you know, Homer, since Gilgamesh, since beyond. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great thing. It's, it's cool because my, so my grandfather, my, my maternal grandpa, who's my only living uh, grandparent, he was in a box symposium for a long time. Oh, wow. So, and I went to a few performances. Of course, I was, you know, in my young teenage years or whatever, and I like, I don't get it. But I can look yeah. back now and think, man, what an incredible experience. So uh, yeah. I, I hope you get back into that. Yeah, I definitely will. Well, thanks for your time today, John. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me here. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That was John David Mann. What an incredible conversation. I had so much fun with that. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please consider sharing it all over the place, social media, text it, tell somebody, whatever you can do. Uh, And and go to the show notes and visit John's website and check out all his other writings. Uh, Buy the Latte Factor. What a great read. Just concise and a great little story. So there you have it. And while you're at the storytellersnetwork.com, go to the contact page hit me up, send me an email or join the email list off the subscribe page as well. So there you have it. Hey, I appreciate you listening. That wraps up this season. Coming up in the next season, uh, I got some entertainment storytellers. So I hope you enjoy that. I'll see you next week. Until next time, here's to telling our stories and having our stories to tell. Cheers.